man, have you guys ever written a sermon and then you're getting something? Yeah. And then, and then you get something totally different, like right before it that doesn't really go along with it, and you're like, should I go this way or should I go that way? Have you ever done that? I don't know. I have this morning. Um, so we'll see how it goes. One thing I started thinking about, and the scripture was brought to me, and it's separate from my sermon, so this may be for someone. Um, I, I think it is uh, because it was kind of pressing on me. And it's from Matthew. Uh, Matthew 16 and 5. My mic's a little bit hot. Um, it says, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, for years, I always looked at yeast as just like, just sin, and it was just like this, the yeast was always the sin that was working its way into our lives somehow magically, and it was always a stress. Verse 7, um, but I, I discovered something this morning, even just reading through this. It says, they discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. So they're all stressed out. They're like, oh, it's because we didn't bring any bread. This is why. Uh, Jesus says, wherever this is their discussion, he said, you have little faith. Why are you talking among your um, among yourselves about having no bread, do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the, for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it you, you don't understand that I was not talking about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood what he was telling them, not to guard against the yeast and the bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What was the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Law. Law is the yeast that he's talking about there. Now, you want to equate that with sin? Sure, but it's, it's a little bit different dynamic there. And I really thought about this because even with the whole orphan analogy of keeping like bread in your pockets, we have this idea. And unfortunately, I think in, in our culture too, we've tried to integrate old covenant that we weren't even invited to as Gentiles and law into what God has given us in grace in the new covenant. Have y'all seen that? And that's a very dangerous thing and it creeps its way into churches and, and good things really can turn into be very bad things. Meaning the yeast of the Pharisees, which is the law that kind of creeps its way in. We always talk about if you put a couple drops of poison in water, it's no longer good anymore. It's the same way with law and grace. If you put a couple drops of law in there, it's no longer grace. There's no, there's no way around it. Like, if you take it to its end, the letter of the law does what? It kills. It doesn't mean that the law is bad. The law is not bad. The law is good and just. We just can't live up to it. Does that make sense? And And... As I was looking at that, man, it really was just striking me, even during worship, this whole idea of yeast and bread and how the disciples were like, oh, he's talking about the bread. It's because we didn't bring bread. It's our fault. That's a very performance-minded thing to say. Like, think about that for a minute. Like, they were, like, they were stressed out because they didn't bring bread. Think about the, the picture that's happening there, the same way we do the same things. Well, I didn't give enough in the offering, or I didn't pray enough, or I didn't read enough, right? Very performance-based living. And he's, he's telling them, be careful of that kind of thing. That is like yeast, and it works its way through the whole loaf. Amen. We have to be careful when we've been given this just amazing gift of grace through faith in Jesus and the new covenant to try to put on law on top of it. It is deadly. Can y'all bump me down just a little bit? I'm like ringing. Can y'all hear me? Am I ringing a little bit? Yeah. Can y'all bring me down just a little bit? Let's, I'm, my ADD kicks in, and all I can hear is the ring. Um, so is that good? Okay, so uh, thank you guys. Good job. So, uh, so I just want to share that. Like this is, this is something that took me took me years to really like unfold, and I want to make sure that we're clear about that. How important it is that we don't try to bring and and put on top of something that Jesus did. Anything, and this is something I've said over and over again. Anything that we elevate above Christ steps into heresy, and we can do that with quote unquote good things too, with self with performance with 
hey, look at me, I'm a you know, man of God kind of thing, and, and, and self-promotion, or even in our own performance as, as churchgoers, that we, we've crossed all the T's and dotted all the lowercase J's. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a movie trivia. All right. So for whatever that's worth, maybe that was for you, maybe it's not, maybe you learned something, maybe you didn't, that's a sidebar, and I just thought about it before. Now I'm going to get, if I have time, to get to my sermon. I will say this, uh, I was thinking about this this morning too, I remember when I was felt like I was I first felt like I was called into ministry before I even went into youth ministry and then being pastor here. I remember thinking, I 100% do not want to be like a regular pastor that preaches every Sunday because how boring would that be to talk about the same things over and over and over again? Now I was young and ignorant. <laughs> now I look at it and I'm like, how in the world do I have enough time to unfold everything that's in Scripture? It's completely different, right? But I remember thinking that. I was like, I want to be an evangelist. I'm just going to show up and shake everything up and leave. <laughs> like, that's what I want to do. That sounds like fun, right? That's a very young thing to think, right? And that's what I thought. I was like, man, I'm not going to do that boring show. Come to find out, the whole evangelist thing is complete opposite. That's the same thing over and over again. And this is the thing that's much more interesting because we have families that we get to know and we, we get to really dig in and dive in. And like I said, now I'm like, I don't have enough Sundays. My... I've got two or three sermons that I'd like to preach, but you guys are hungry and you got to go, so I can't do it all at once. So, anyway, I'm hungry. I'm hungry too, but I didn't bring the bread. Okay, yeah, yes. Like, sure. Hope I have the answer. Wait. <laughs> this is for the folks at home. <laughs> Great job, Andrew. Thank you. Um, I have a question. Yes. Um, do you think that when we start studying ourselves and our behavior, we might be worrying about the law, that that might be a symptom of worrying about the law? Well, I think anything that's self-referential would would be a performance-based act outside of, I would say, and I hate to use this term, outside the will of God, because a lot of, we, we also have this old-time religion version of the will of God that we're going to miss it somehow, even though he's with us all the time. But I think it's outside of the will of God because it's, that's a, that's a, that's a loaded question because that also, I think, would lead to sin as well because sin is shortcutting what the Holy Spirit already has for us, right? So God has a plan for us that's better than our own plans. So if we try to create our own, we see how many times that fails. When we try to create our own plans outside the will of God, the real will of God, which is better for us, then, then yeah, I would say that would fall right into law and would lead to death. I mean, that's the, that's the direction that it goes. I don't see any other way around it when you... What's funny is people will, will really push against grace and try to use law, but they only use a limited amount of law. They won't use it all. They'll just use the ones that they're comfortable with. That's the problem with law. You, I'll use this example all the time. We went to an Amish town, and they had Amish and Mennonites and different types of people. I'm not trying to pick on them at all. It was just an, obser- an observation that I had. We're driving through, and there was a lady cutting grass with one of the metal things, no engine or anything, just had blades on it, which is pretty cool. I was like, that's pretty neat. Yeah, not, using gas. We went to another town, and I guess it was a different type. Um, I don't know for sure, but it was like maybe Mennonite and Amish, different things that they believe, which is kind of some law-based things. And he had a horse and carriage pulling another carriage with a Briggs and Stratton motor and like a belt and a blade on it. And I was thinking, I don't understand. Like, is he being sacrilegious or innovative? I don't know. And that's the problem with law. Where do you draw the lines? When you start drawing those lines, they're, they, it gets really sketchy really quick because you're basing everything on you. You're, you're pointing everything towards you, how well you can do. And the Bible's very clear about that, is we do not do well enough, ever. As much as we try, we are not good enough. 
we all fall short. And it doesn't mean we're just garbage and we're, we're worthless, because that's another thing that we'll, we'll dive into. Uh, is There's lots of other religions that'll do that, that'll just beat yourself up constantly, and that's another form of, of performance, too. So I think any, back to my original statement, anything that we elevate above Jesus becomes heresy. So whether that's our, any way that we try to outperform God, basically through Jesus, would, would be that same thing. I don't know if that answered your question, or I just went on a tangent, or both. Did that help at all? Well, I mean, that, that's the way I look at it. When, when he says it's finished, it's like we're saying, yeah, but you know what I mean? Was his sacrifice enough? And I think it was because it says he was the ultimate sacrifice. He was, the royal, he was of the royal priesthood, but he was the, uh, the eternal priest. So we don't need another one after him, right? We had all these priests that were like, yay, we got this priest, but they were just man and they could only last so long. And then Jesus comes and he's like, I'm it, I'm the guy. And he was, like he fulfilled the prophecies. He did all the things, yeah. I will say, like, whoa, hello. For, for example, where, like, it says in, like, I think it was Paul's writing all the churches, like, you know, be holy and, you know, try and be holy. He's not saying that for the purpose of salvation, just for the purpose of, like, relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So once we get, we understand the foundation of, you know, being saved through Jesus, the holiness comes through a little bit of discipline and focus. I mean, it takes, self-control is, again, fruit of the Spirit. So, like, we can... We don't really get more, quote-unquote, holy in the purpose right. of salvation, but we do work and strive to be that. But it's not, it's not a burden. Like I said, it, you know, it's, it, it comes naturally through grace, but we still want to strive to be holy just for the relationship's sake with the Holy Spirit because he's not going to be like, you know, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, right? Right. So the spirit of holiness will want to hang out with us. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's good for us to be an example and present our bodies as a living sacrifice and be holy for the sake of relationship. Well, it's a, it's a supernatural thing that we carry the Holy Spirit to love our neighbors as ourselves, and that's what the Bible tells us to do. So what you're talking about is our, 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 our behavior is important, and that's the thing that, for whatever reason, when, when we talk about grace, a lot of people think, well, you can do whatever you want. Well, yeah, well, what do you want to do? I right. think that's why it gets to the heart of the issue. But not just what do you want to do, but why do you want to do it? So when we see the prototype of Jesus, we see and I say prototype because he was, he was the demonstration. He was the flesh and blood that we could see that God and man could operate together on earth. Before that, there was a distance, right, that we had to do all these things to get to him. Well, now he's come to us. And so what you're talking about, I think, is as far as the, the behavior to get right with God, we could never do. But the love for our neighbors now dictates. It's the same thing Paul talks about, about eating and drinking things to idols. Look, if it causes your brother to stumble, don't do it. It's not about what you're eating, what you're not eating. It basically is like it's not, a, it's not food that defiles the body anyway. So what he's saying is you're, you're free to do whatever you want, but your freedom is only dictated by your love for your brother. Does that make sense? So, yeah, you're free, and that's what scares people, especially people that seek to control others. When you tell them you're free, that's scary. it's scary for a pastor. When we first started discovering it, I thought, man, I could tell people they're free? That's scary. But what that does is it radically transforms your relationship with God through the Holy Spirit because now you're not dependent on me, which is you don't need to depend on me. But now you're not depending on me to try to govern you because I don't govern you. The Holy Spirit does. Does that make sense? Everything is permissible to me, but but not not everything is beneficial. beneficial. Right. So that's that's an important point. (laughs) Yes, it is. All all things are permissible, but not all are beneficial. In other words, you you have freedoms, but they're not going to all do you well to exercise those. If you're married, you know what that's like. 
And I'm not saying that to be, it's to be it is kind of funny, but, but, but seriously, you know, uh, yeah, it did, but that's not what I meant necessarily. In other words, you, yeah, a relationship in general. Yeah. You have, you have the freedom to do whatever you want, but why do you do the things that, that you want to do? Like you, you, you get down to the want to, and that's where grace comes into play. Well, God did not have to do what he did. He chose to do what he did. In the same way, we don't have to love our neighbor. We choose to love our neighbor. This whole idea of love, especially in our culture, is we fall in and out of it, and it's this fleeting thing. And, and it's crazy because that was the way I was taught is that um, the logic is in your brain and this, this uh, puppy dogs and you know, flowers love is in your heart. And be careful with that kind of love in your heart. you gotta, you got to balance it with what's in your head. But the Bible teaches us a completely different lesson. It says that his kingdom has given us a deposit in our heart, that we actually, the source of it all is in our heart, so the heart changes the way we think. He doesn't say renew your heart. He says renew your mind, right? So what he's saying is, look, I've given you a deposit that is the Holy Spirit of the kingdom. This is the same reason we don't here at our church, and I hope other people do as well. We're not trying to catapult. This is what I taught when I first got saved is we're trying to, like, catapult people to heaven when they die. It's this distant thing. Like, one day you're going to get to be. It's like this uh, supernatural retirement plan. You're going to get to be in glory land. And we always joke around. If that was the case, we just hold people longer when we baptize them and send them on their way. Yeah, but the thing is, he's created us for a purpose now on earth, and he's given us a deposit in the kingdom, so we're not. You do get to see heaven in its fullness when you die. It's awesome. It's eternal. But you get that eternal life right now. Well, our job is not just to send people to heaven when they die. Our job is to bring heaven to people. We are just like Jesus. Same thing with the prototype. Everywhere Jesus went, his kingdom went with him. And then when he touched people, things happened. When he spoke, he spoke the word of God, and things happened. It wasn't a convincing. He wasn't trying to convince people that his, his way was better than other ways. He knew his way was better than other ways. He spoke it as truth, and then it happened. He said, well, she's just sleeping. She's not dead. Well, was she sleeping or dead? It doesn't matter. When God says she's sleeping, she's awake, she's awake now. When you say, when he says, when you go out and you tell people their sins are forgiven, their sins are forgiven. Why? Because you forgave them? No, because I did. Does that make sense? Because when you, when you speak and you have the Holy Spirit, you speak with power and authority as a son. We're not, we're not begging as orphans. We're declaring as sons. And we're not trying to convince people that we have a better way. We do have a better way. We have the best way. We have the only way. We have the way. And so when we, when we declare it to people, they're naturally attracted to it. Why? Because they're created by God. This isn't complicated. Yeah, you're, you're right about the love, especially because uh, when the Pharisees came and asked Jesus about what was the greatest commandment, he said it was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, being a command is something we have a choice to do. Mm-hmm. So we choose to love. Right. And the tag after this, he said, in so doing, you fulfill all the law and the prophets. So we focus on love. The fulfillment of the law is a result of that. It's not goals of that. It's just those two things. It's a short list now. You know know what's an awesome second dynamic to that? The fulfillment of the law was Jesus, right? He fulfilled the law. So when we're doing that, we, we, oh, man, this is so good. If you walk in love, you don't kill anybody. (laughs) Right. Wow. I mean, it, it's, it's a natural byproduct. Yeah. Science. <laughs> Science. <laughs> this is God math we were talking about this morning. Um, this is God math. So what, what we do when we, and this is actually what I want to talk about, and we, um, we may finish up next week. But that's actually what I want to talk about as far as the testimony. When we give, and I'll give the scripture from Revelation 19.9. Everyone's scared. Ooh, Revelation. It's not scary. Revelation is a revelation of Jesus. Everything in the Bible is about Jesus. All points towards Jesus. From the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, Genesis is pointing towards Jesus. Everything in the New Covenant is, is pointing at him. Everything is pointing. We are 
a Christocentric, we believe in a Christocentric hermeneutic, based, hermeneutic, basically meaning that everything is pointed towards Jesus. All the Old Testament stories about David, that was Jesus. All, you know, Jonah, three days in the belly of the whale, that's all, that's all types and shadows of Jesus. I learned that from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Somebody told us to get for our kids, and I was like, what? This is amazing. Um, so if you don't have that for your kids, get the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's awesome. It, it shows all those types and shadows of Jesus and, and explains it in a way that even your pastor can understand. All right. So Revelation 19.9, this is Revelation of Jesus. This is John talking about the visions that he saw. It says, uh, then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are, who are called to, uh, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. With an exclamation point. I'm not going to yell it, but he's probably yelling. Uh, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the, t- who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, these words sound very, very like magical prophecy. You know, I'm a prophesy. And the, these things can, can sound more mystical than they are. Prophecy is simply exactly what it says here. Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When you tell the stories of Jesus, you are prophesying. You prophesy of, of Jesus. He is the central, he is what draws us all together. So when you go out and you speak of Jesus, that is prophecy. When we worship up here, they're prophesying. They're telling the truth and declaring the good news. When you go out and you love people, you are prophesying. You don't have to know, and I'm not saying knowledge is not important. It is, and it helps you very much to understand Scripture. But you don't have to know every Greek and Hebrew word to prophesy. You don't have to. It's good to, to learn and get deeper and, and to do that on your own. But I'm telling you, when you when you speak truth and love, which is, I hate it when people say that. Usually they, they preface that and then when they want to be a jerk. I'm going to tell you the truth, but I'm going to tell you in love. Usually that has negative connotations for whatever reason in our culture. I'm going to tell you the truth, but it's going to be in love, and then they just blast you with all this stuff. Yeah. The truth in love can be good news. It's not always bad. The same way we, we always talk about we, if you have a rambunctious child, everybody's like, oh, that's going to be your problem, child. Are they? Maybe they'll be the, the, the leader. Maybe they'll, they'll have more passion and different things like that. We always, for whatever reason, default to the negative in those things. In the same way, when we prophesy, you are giving the good news. I'm not saying it's always neat and pretty. That's religion's neat and pretty. Relationship's messy. It may not be pretty. Here, here's what's so important that I always tell you guys, Mark told me, and I was young and ignorant, and I, I asked a dumb question, and, and he was saying how paramount relationship is. He was right, and I was wrong, and I learned it over the years. People really don't want to hear what you have to say until they understand that you care, and I was the same way. When when you're close to someone and you know who they are and you know what they're going through, love can look like a whisper. It can look like a slap in the face because love looks differently to different people based on the relationship that you have with them. I don't give money to a drug addict because they may take it and do something else. I maybe need, need to be close to them and talk to them and walk with them through some things and buy them food or buy them something else or vice versa. There may be something that's just struggling with somebody that just needs a little direction and you could give money to or something. That's a very broken down example, but love looks different to different people. I get challenged a lot from other people in ministry and other pastors and different things like that about hypothetical scenarios, and I've learned to not bite that bait because I can't. I can't. They'll say, well, what if this person walked into your church? What would you do? And I'll say, I can't answer that question because I don't know that person. They, they say it's a cop-out, but it's not. I don't know what that person's going through. I'm not. If this person walks in, I'm not going to immediately ask them about what their preferences are in these areas in their life. I'm not going to go through that. I'm going to get to know them and see who they are as a person. I'm going to I'm going to take the time to get to know who they are, and then from that point, hopefully, help them in some way, shape, or form 
by way of the gospel. Does that make sense? We, unfortunately, many times in church, we become judge, jury, and executioner for God. And that's not our job. He says to cast seeds. That's not casting seeds. He's the one that judges. He's actually the one that makes them even grow. We can't even do that. Anyway, chase that rabbit a little bit further than I wanted to. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Um, so I'm, I'm always leery when, when there's like self-proclaimed prophets. Have you all ever seen people that they'll give you a business card that'll have their name and then prophet next to it? I'm not saying they're all bad. I'm just saying be, be careful with that or kind of thus saith the Lord types that will, will really step out there and begin whether it's inadvertent or intentional, try to glorify themselves. That's another thing I think that elevates people above Christ. If you're a prophet, man, prophesy. That's fine. People are gifted in those areas more than others. That's fine. But any one of you are able to prophesy. We learned as we walked through the gifts several months ago, your gifting is not something that you need to be perfectly trained on so that you can always do this certain thing. Your gifting is determined by the needs of others. So you may not be gifted in an area, but someone else needs you to be gifted in that area. Now you're gifted in that area because it's not about you. It's about them. Does that make sense? The beautiful thing about grace and understanding what God can do in and through us and putting our performance aside is we actually get to perform better than we ever could on our own because now we have this Holy Spirit with us and we're like, hey, it's this, this weight's not put on us where we have to get resaved every week and try to remember every sin that we ever committed so that we can confess it. It's focused on, hey, how can we bless and love others? And all those things, uh, just like you were talking about as far as loving having a, a, a real commitment to loving others as ourselves, all those things begin to fall off because we're focused on something else. We're not sin-focused. We're Christ-focused. Anyways, Romans, <laughs> another, another version of this, which I, which I love, is Romans 1.16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, first for the Jew then for the Gentile. So what is the power of God that brings salvation? Is it you? Is it me? It says it right there. It's the gospel. It's the good news. What is salvation? Is it just being saved? Okay, I've got my ticket. Check that off the list. I can go to heaven now. Is that the good news? Y'all can talk. Is that all it is? Is it just that we can get to heaven one day when we die? Is that all we have? You skipped to the end, Bill. Thank you. Y'all may not have heard Bill, so ignore it. <laughs> it's not a zero-sum game. It's not a zero-sum game. <laughs> so what I, found, uh, <laughs> what I found is we're really good at the first half of this. What I found after being saved and going to church, we're really good at the first half, which is Jesus died for our sins, right? Which is good. This is all really good news. This is all part of it, but this is the first half. Jesus died for our sins. He beat death, hell, and the grave. He rose again, right? We all, we all can agree on that, and that's really good. The second half that I think we neglect a lot is that he ascended to be with the Father to make intercession forever for us, which is awesome. And the main thing that I think we miss is he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us forever, meaning he's given us new life. He's given us a new way to live. The old is past. We got that. We get that with the first half. Sin is gone. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He did all these things. He rose again. He, he, he gave us this, this stamp that we are good if we believe in him. But now the second half is what I think that we miss a lot, and that's new life in Christ by way of this Holy Spirit that he's given us. We neglect the very powerful tool that he gives us all the time. 
we talked about it, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, that man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. I think it's important because we make plans big, all these big plans, but the most important thing is God directs our steps. This is when we, we realize that it's not all about coincidences. These are divine interruptions that we can take advantage of. Why? Because these are steps that we have. Well, this, this person cut me off. Well, that's a bad example. This person <laughs> could be a good example. This, this person interrupted my plans, right? Well, is it an interruption or is it an opportunity? What is it? That's up to us to decide. Okay, maybe I need to change my, my steps. <laughs> maybe my plans need to change. Why? Maybe, maybe I need to listen to the Holy Spirit here. What's the Holy Spirit saying about this person? We talked about Paul and Silas in prison, and their shackles fell off, gates flung open. Not only were they worshiping during it, but they didn't leave. They were more concerned with the guard about to kill himself because they said, we're not going anywhere. We, we are more concerned with your life than we are our own freedom. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. You see the difference? They, they were free already. <laughs> they didn't have to be free from the prison. They were free in their hearts. They were singing praise and worship with their feet in the sewer in shackles, so much so that they influenced all the prisoners around them not to run when the gates flew open. Think about that. That's not, that's not just persuading people or like convincing them of something. That's knowing who you are, having an identity in Christ and carrying a Holy Spirit power that can influence a room, not let the room influence you. This is what's so important and, and what I want to focus on when, we, when we're going into teaching the youth. Something that w- was taught, especially when I was I would go through some training things and different with youth was that they were the future, right? The youth are the future. You guys are the future. We got to prepare you guys for the future. I don't. I never said that in youth, and I don't want that ever to be said in youth. That's a given. They're going to grow up. They're the present right now. They have the passion and zeal that we may not have. They haven't been polluted with a lot of the stresses that we have. So when we, when when you guys, I say we, you guys too. It's not just for me and the youth pastors. It's for you guys too and the youth to say you are present right now. You can walk into school. Whether they say you can or can't pray in school, you can't, they can't stop you from praying in school. That's ridiculous. They're not stopping the Holy Spirit at the door. They're just going with you everywhere you go. So the, this, this idea that you like check your religion at the gate or something is ridiculous. It says even though you go and, and, and join yourself to a harlot, I go with you. That's to say he ain't jumping in and out of your body all the time. He, he's, not, he's not intimidated by the things that you interact with. He's certainly not intimidated with sin. He killed it. He killed it dead. He didn't just wink at it. He just annihilated it. So when you go into, into areas and that, that you're unsure of, that we want to find these Christian environments, you are a Christian environment. You're it. You're the Christian environment that changes the atmosphere around you everywhere you go. How cool is that? You're, you're not looking for a building. This isn't a temple. You're the temple. I call us Dixie Cups because we don't really drink out of clay jars anymore. So you guys are Dixie Cups. And you know how fragile Dixie Cups are. But you carry the spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Do you get it? Like, how cool is that? That's like the coolest thing ever. I always think, and Carol sent me the emoji of the mind. That blows my mind. It blows my mind that as messed up as we are, that God said, no, I want, I want to reside in you, and I'm going to make you holy so that I can stay there and never leave, just like you were talking about. He creates a holy place that he can be. And when we, when we allowed him, the, the thing we talked a couple weeks ago, we used to have a wooden spoon for our kids. They drew a frowny face on. They hated that thing. Um, the Holy Spirit's not just standing around with a wooden spoon waiting for you to screw up. Not saying he won't direct you when you do, but he's much more than that. He's a person. He's, he's Jesus. He's God with you. And he guides you, and he comforts you, and he helps you. He's not just walking around like this cosmic killjoy wanting to bash you on the head, smite you every time you mess up. Whack-a-mole. whack-a-mole. He's not some cosmic whack-a-mole. He, 
he's a friend. He says, we get to call him friend. That was so radical when Jesus was teaching his disciples about praying. The first thing he said was, our father. Whoa, you can't say that. That's, that's blasphemy. You can't call him father. But he is. He's your father. And you can speak to your father. Yes, you have reverence. I'm not saying just be flippant about it. But, but you can speak to him as a friend. I want my kids to know they can... This whole... I'm really... Maybe I'm just... Because I've had conversations with Mark lately and I'm reminded of all the sonship stuff. I'm just really enamored with this idea of this, this orphan heart in Christians. It's ridiculous. It's such a weird thing that we, we adapt and adopt that we shouldn't because we're sons. You have the keys to the house. You can go in the cupboard and get food anytime you want. You don't have to stress about that. The thing the Bible tells us to strive for is to strive to what? Enter into his rest. Why is that important? Because from that place of rest, you now carry power everywhere you go because your identity is sealed in him. It says he's placed this seal in us. He's placed this deposit of the Holy Spirit in us that we can move and act as ambassadors on his behalf. Yeah. Yes. Hello. Yes. Hello. Yes, all of that's true. And <laughs> Yes. And Yes. It also says he chastens those those he loves. He does. So I just remember like my mom when I was in middle school and I was, you know, going through all the middle school girl stuff. I was talking about one of my friends to my mom. She was like, "Kelly, that's called gossiping. And that's not okay. We don't do that." Right. And I was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> and it was helpful for later on in life, but it's like the Holy Spirit does the same thing. Mm-hmm. He, with his kindness, like I always like when the Holy Spirit corrects me, if I say a, a, a sharp word or if I do something, especially when we were dating, the Holy Spirit was like, here's your boundaries, girl, you know? Yeah. But that's because he loves us. Mm-hmm. So it's both uh, and. It's I both think and. It's both and, it is. And the only reason I, I put more emphasis on, on one side than the other is because there's been so much emphasis on the other. But I will say this, you said something really important that, that you said because it helped you later on in life. We have to understand that that chastening and that, that discipline is not just punishment for the past, it's, it's preparation for the future. Spanking spoon, but rather just like the kind words from a father. Yep. Like, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't, don't do and that. honestly, that's the way, and we, we've done both, I'd say, with the kids growing up, depending on, and once again, that's based on relationship, how that looks. There were some, some of our daughters that we spanked and it worked, and some of them it didn't, and they would literally tell me, it doesn't hurt. And my, what would they say? My butt's fluffy. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. We're like, well, I don't know what to do. And so we would, we would find new ways to help guide them. And for one, and don't repeat this because they'll be embarrassed, but one of them was she hated to be put, placed in her room. And I know our neighbors probably thought we were just killing her because she would scream. And we never touched her. We just put her in a room with the door closed, and that was the worst thing you could possibly do. But that was because we, we were close enough to know what would help her. And once she would calm down, I'd go in. And I, I think I read a book somewhere about getting on their level, and I would squat down, and I would, I would talk to her as a father, and I'd say, okay, this is why we did this. This is why you don't need to do this. This will not do you well when you get older <laughs> because you're going to get arrested. <laughs> you know, it's, Right now, we're just placing you in your room for a couple minutes, but this type of behavior will hurt you in the future. And it was. It was preparation for them when they grow up. So all of those things, the, the discipline and the chastening of the Lord, he does that to those that he loves. So when, when those things come... I don't know how, I don't have time to really dive into that part too because we need to really define that too because I don't believe that God's, the the way that God disciplines is a very loving discipline and sometimes it may feel bad, but I don't believe that God like makes you sick or like really 
hurts you hurts you in those ways. I 100% don't believe that. Now, there may be some things when God is disciplining you that feels not good. That's for sure. But that's only because we're still catching up to him. Our, our ways aren't his ways. And sometimes, maybe in a year or two from now, you go, oh, that's why. And that was good for me. And that wasn't bad at all. It was just in the time I was pitching a fit because I wanted my toy or whatever, right? So I think that's the, that's the difference there. We have to be careful that we don't paint him in a picture that he, he goes from being father to, like, evil dictator or something. So there's, there's balance there. Yes, we got hands going up everywhere. Uh, Pause for commercial. My name. It's okay. Um, When you were talking about the orphan spirit this morning, it like hit me um, real hard. And um, God deals with me really funny. So I looked up the meaning because that's usually what he does. And I knew what I was expecting to read was that a mom, your mom and dad have passed away. It hit me hard because both my parents passed away. And it hit me hard because I realized that I've been operating in an orphan spirit. But here's what's really got me is that in printing terms and the definition an orphan is the very last or the very first line of a sentence or a paragraph that's on the page, and you got to turn the page to read the rest of it. And so God's just been like, it's time to turn the page. Oh, wow. And I think a lot of times we need to be there, um, and that is why some things are painful. We, It's hard to turn the page. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what God really wants us to do from that orphan place instead of always trying to depend on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like you said, putting bread and and everything in our pockets and making sure that we're okay. It's really eyes focused on him, turning the page, knowing that he's got it all. Wow, that's good. One of the things, too, that reminded me, Bill and I, uh, Tiffany had something. Bill and I um, talked about this back in the day with Chris when you you guys adopted Chris and uh, the... The laws were, were that, uh, and I'll probably butcher this, but basically the laws for an orphan are actually supersede those of natural children because you choose to adopt them. And so I think that's so awesome, especially even understanding New and Old Covenant where we were adopted, we were grafted in. You know, we weren't originally God's chosen people. He grafted us in through Jesus. And we, we get even better rights, than, which doesn't make any sense at all because by, by everything, I mean, they deserved, they had the lineage I mean, God's chosen people, the Israelites, they were, they had every right, and, and it makes more sense now that they were so upset when Jesus said, I came for all nations, and first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. They were not cool with letting us in because we had, we were messed up bad. You know, we were real messed up. They were still messed up, but they were, at least they had a lineage. He has given us, that's what just blows my mind, he has given us something, he chose us and gave us something we didn't even deserve. And even in, in, in man's terms, when you adopt a child, he has, isn't that right? He has more. You cannot disown an adopted child. You cannot disown him. Think about that. It's crazy. And all that speaks to me of our divine sonship of the Father. To, one of the things that I did research, I actually looked up some this morning about. Um, when, when orphans come out of, of an orphanage and go into a home, talking about hiding the food and sleeping on the floors and different things like that, and just not sure how to act. It's, it's a, prisoners do the same thing when they come out of prison. It's got a term. I don't remember what it's called, but trying to adapt into society again, and it's difficult because it's a completely different environment. I think in the same way, we try to do the same thing. Our old life has passed, but we still 
well, maybe we need to hang on to this thing or this dead thing. We need to, maybe we need to do that when we've got full access to the Father. We don't need to, to keep, keep, keep striving. And, and I love how Jesus says, if you drink of this, you will thirst no more. You, won't, you don't need to be hungry and thirsty anymore. You have me. And I love that because I know we'll, we'll, never, we'll never stop really having this desire to know God more, and that's always going to be there. But it's so comforting as, as a believer and as a Christian to know that he's always, he's not, He's not leaving. There's no distance anymore. We're not having to, to, like if we mess up, we're not saying, oh, no, he's separated and we've got, to work, we've got to work our way back together. He's saying, no, I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. Don't do that. <laughs> Obviously, that was, that was a dumb thing to do. You need to go this direction, but he's, he's, the closeness is what's so important. And that's what I know with me not having a dad around was so needed. I Trying to be a tough guy when I was younger, I never wanted to admit that. I thought I was self-sufficient. I thought I could take care of myself ignorance, but I, I thought I was big and bad, and I was going to do all these things, but deep down, I wanted a dad. I really wanted a dad to be there. When I would fix cars, I would, I, it, it took years for me to realize this, but I would talk to myself. This is a, a kind of an intimate moment with me and God, but I would talk to myself and say, and it never dawned on me that I was saying son. I was calling myself son, even when I would say it in my head. When I would work on something, we didn't have money, and no one was there to help me, so I would say, when I would get frustrated, I'd say, come on, son, you have to do this. No one else is going to do it for you. That was something that would always be in my head. And I'd have to take a deep breath, and I'd get back to it, and I'd fix whatever was broken. But deep down, what I really wanted was a dad to be there. It was a dad to be there to say, let me help you. Let me show you how. Or let me take the wrench from you and, and do it. That's really what I wanted, deep down. But it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing, and, and I don't know. It's a difficult thing for me. It may not be for other people, but maybe for other people too to, to be able to lay that, that self-sufficiency down because I wanted to be strong and I wanted to be tough. And I, wanted, and I knew I'd seen the worst in people because of my childhood, and I thought that all people were bad. So I placed that on God too, and even adults that abused me when I was younger, so I placed that on God, and it was not right. It was not right that I placed those attributes that people had misrepresented to me. The reason that I say all the time that God is better than you thought is because God was better than I thought. He was better than he was represented to me. And I say that not that, not that I mean, my circumstances were unique to me, but they're every, I think that it happens to everyone in that way, that we have to understand, especially kids that are trying to figure out who they are with their identity, they have to know who they are as sons and daughters of God first and be solid in that. Because if not, this world will give them plenty of other identities. They'll identify them by their sexuality. They'll identify them by their color of their skin. They'll identify them by the amount of money that they have in their bank account. They'll identify them by any other way possible except for the way that they should be identified by, and that's loved and adored by their Father in heaven. And it breaks my heart to see that. And there's so many adults that are in that same position that are just like, I don't even know who I am. And I have conversations, and I think, man, do you, do you know who you are? Do you know how loved you are? You know how important you are to God, that he lacked nothing, but he, he, he went through everything so that he could know you, not just so you could check it off a box and, and walk an aisle and say, I've got my ticket to heaven. No, he wants to know you and walk with you day by day and, 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 and have intimate conversation. The, the scripture that he talks about when, when he says, depart from me, I never knew you, that no term is an intimate term that he knows you. He really knows you, not just knows about you. But the beautiful thing is he's not saying that to us. He's not saying that to the ones that are born again, depart from me, I never knew you. He knows you. There's nothing that's hidden from him. He knows everything about you, and he loves you anyway. That's something that changes you. 
Like I said before, when people told me how bad I was, I didn't need to know that. I knew very well how bad I was. I needed to know how much God loved me, how much bigger that love was than what I had seen in humans. Humans were broken, and they worked from a place of... Even my dad, man, he failed me in every way possible, but he was working from a place of brokenness, and we know that hurt people hurt people. That's why we say healed people heal people. When you're hurt, you're going to operate from that hurt. And, and I've forgiven him for all the things that he did, but I know that he was hurt in many ways, and he was a misrepresentation of my Heavenly Father. He wasn't a father figure. Anyway, I want to attend you there. Tiffany, sorry. <laughs> On a related subject, like Kelly says, when the Lord chastens, when he disciplines, it's, um, it's kindness. Mom and I went to some ladies' retreat years ago, and this lady was encountering the Lord and was having a conversation. This lady had had some horrible upbringing, lots and lots of abuse. And um, so in her conversation with the Lord, she... Um, heard him as angry and and reprimanding her. And he says, oh, don't ever attribute that tone of voice to me. I'm never that. When the Lord chastens, it's kindness. You, it's it's like when you've got a kid who's got dirt on his face and you're like, oh, would you would you like me to get that for you? Like you've got a little bit of dirt there. Can I can I get that? Right. And then you say, oh, yes, yes. It's 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 like breathing again. It's just we're we're already we've been made holy. It's like uh, Gabe says, like we we have him here. Like so, he's like, oh, this doesn't look like holiness. You wanna you want me to do something about that? Right. <gasps> yes. I mean that's. And he does all the heavy lifting. It's, he's not he's not pushing us to try to do that. He's saying, I will take this from you because it, it's ill fitting. It says it's ill fitting for you. Exactly. I will not place any burdens on you that don't fit. He says, look, I will carry the weight that you can't carry, and none of us can carry the weight that he carries. So when it says his kindness leads to repentance, we, we've attributed repentance as just feeling bad for sin. It's not. It's metanoia. It's changing the way you think. Back to the heart thing. He says, I will be so kind, and I'm telling you, his kindness is what changed me. I saw anger. I saw lots of anger in people trying to change me. When, when God poured his wrath out on Jesus, it was on our behalf. It, it wasn't it's a, it's a it's a it's kind of paradoxical in the way that it happened, but he he took it upon himself that which we deserved. So when we 100% deserved it, like it's not I'm not trying to skip over that we're we're screwed up for no there's no doubt. But when when I see God knowing He has every right to smite me, I mean at any given moment He could do whatever He wants. I mean He could totally do it, and He has every right to do it, but He chose to forgive me. That changes a person. Being angry and saying, you need to change. It's like, I always say, it's always like screaming at a caterpillar, a caterpillar, a caterpillar, screaming at a caterpillar, telling him to turn into a butterfly. Would you just turn into a butterfly or an acorn? Be a tree. No, these things come from the inside out. Stop screaming at things and call out what's inside of them. If you have the Holy Spirit, it's going, fruit, we always talk about fruit happens. Fruit is going to happen. Fruit will happen if you begin to listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. It's, tra- it's inward transformation above outward cons- constraint. Once again, if, if I draw lines for you to stay in, uh, Mark used to use the, the example of <laughs> they, they had some kind of thing for all these kids or whatever, and he told them there's no rules in this place. You can, there was like a fun place that they were going. The only rule is don't spit in the garden. And every one of those kids, when no one was looking, was going to spit in the garden. That's how law works. <laughs> Paul even said it. Look, I didn't even know what coveting was. Now you tell me not to covet. All I want to do is covet. <laughs> like, your law prompts me to, to do bad. 
Law, law is hard because it's like it places it as forefront in our minds. Don't do this. I didn't even want to do that. Now I want to do it, right? Have you all experienced that? Yes. Yes. So here's it. Yeah, you have. I don't, I'll answer. So here's the thing. When he, when he says, okay, there is, what's at the end of these laws is death. It's going to kill you. It's not good for you because you can't live up to them. When he says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to like shake my own hand, make my own deal, and I'm going to take this away from you. Now you can live a free life. What do we do with that? That's where we are. What do we do with this free life that he's given us? That, I think, is, is more of a conviction or a chastening than if he's just beating us over the head. The whole rod and staff thing, what are they for? They're to draw in and comfort and to fend off our enemies. Yes, he chastens us, and I know I'm, I'm, I lean a little bit more one way because there's been so much pushed about our own performance and our own ways to be able to, to fight this off. And I'm here to tell you, you can't fight it off on your own. You cannot, you, cannot defeat, you cannot defeat the enemy without the one that already did it. So we fight from victory, not towards it. I'm going on. We're 50 minutes over. Stand up with me. I'm going to pray for you all. Um, I could stay here all day talking about it. But just remember this. Like when we leave this place, you are the church. You guys are, are you've been given the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of making f- people feel bad about the decisions they've made. They feel bad already. Trust me. God's good at that. He, does, he is real good at talking to people about them, the things that they do. And he's real good about loving them through it and, and drawing them to himself. Like, Jesus makes, when he talks about loving your neighbors yourself and all the laws, he makes a complicated message simple. That's our job. Don't make a simple message complicated. Please don't do that. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, help us to, um, to have, Lord, just, I don't even want to say help us, Lord, just open our eyes to those that are around us that need to hear the good news of who you are in their lives right now. There are so many out there that are searching and looking for answers. Lord, thank you that you've given us the ultimate answer, and it's yourself. Lord, you didn't, you didn't create a way. You are the way. You have created the way to the Father, and, it's, and it's, the best, it's the best that's out there. There's nothing that compares to it. Lord, thank you that um, you've created us in your image. You've, you've given us your own character. Lord, help us to share that with those around us. We don't hoard it. We're not reservoirs trying to, to keep it, but we are conduits flowing from you to them. And so, Lord, uh, please open our eyes to those, those uh, things that we see or maybe coincidences or interruptions that, that you would open our eyes to what's really going on in the kingdom, Lord, what's going on in the spirit in those instances. Lord, help us to be your hands and your feet on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.